You're listening to Think Blockchain with your host, Jerry Cuomo. Thank you, DJ, and welcome all to Think Blockchain, a podcast for those curious about blockchain's evolution to an ethical Web3 future. Folks, when I bought my cup of coffee this morning using my Apple Pay, I assumed the cafe was ultimately paid. But not until a group of trusted intermediaries, you know, Apple, the credit card company, and perhaps a bank got involved to help fulfill the payment process. Now, these folks do provide value, and to go with that, they all get a cut, and sometimes it's a big cut. Well, today, almost every aspect of banking, lending, and trading is managed by centralized systems operated by governing bodies and gatekeepers. Regular customers like us need to deal with a raft of financial middlemen to get access to everything from auto loans, mortgages, to trading stocks and bonds, etc. And of course, every middleman that touches the transaction takes a cut. Well, decentralized finance, also known as DeFi, is the topic of today's episode. You'll hear from our guest how DeFi uses blockchain technology to manage financial transactions. DeFi aims to bring balance to finance by streamlining legacy centralized institutions with new peer-to-peer relationships that can provide a full spectrum of financial services, including everyday banking, loans, mortgages, and more. Our guest today is Nitin Gar, who is not just an ordinary guest. He is my friend and colleague for many years. We both jump-started IBM's blockchain initiative, and we also collaborated together on writing the book, Blockchain for Business, together with Jay Arun. When I have a question about finance, payments, and DeFi, I'm glad Nitin is only a text away. But today, no need to text. He's here. So with that, I'd like to welcome my friend Nitin to Think Blockchain. Welcome, Nitin. Hey, Jerry. Glad to be here. Really glad to be here, actually. Yeah, good. I'm glad to have you. So let's jump right in. So this is a, an interesting topic here of decentralized finance. So can you share with our audience a little bit about what decentralized finance is and how you play, what role you play? And it's kind of a loaded question because I know what role you play, but I would like <laughs> everyone else to share in the benefit of that. Yeah, so let me paint a history first, Jerry, in terms of how we got to decentralized finance. It's, it's important to understand the inefficiencies of centralized finance. So as you know, We've always compared what internet has done for information, which has made it more egalitarian, more accessible. Blockchain will do that for things of value. And mm-hmm. when we begin to look at movement of value, the notion of finance come into existence because there are elements of movement of payments, things that we generally use financial institutions to move things that we value. But there's a lot of things today that usually have to go through a banking system or financial system. And what blockchain essentially has done by building the rails, if I can use that term, sure. to move value, suddenly has enabled, just like what internet has enabled, which has led to this enormous sort of economic value being unlocked with every individual being in e-commerce, every individual sort of selling the digital products, being online and, and interacting and creating new channels of communication. Think of blockchain as an enabler to create new channels for exchange of value. And that leads to enormous amount of financial innovation and financial products. So think of decentralized finance as a movement in blockchain application space that leverages sort of decentralized networks, essentially these are global networks that we're dealing with, to disrupt and force a transformation of old financial products, which today is largely centered around centralized finance, the banking, the financial institution, into a more trustless and transparent protocol, enabling 
for entities to be able to, in thematic sense, be able to exchange value with each other, peer-to-peer protocol, peer-to-peer models, without bypassing many of the centralized financial institutions. And I think that is the thematic element. Of course, this concept has evolved and blown up and happy to sort of dive a bit more into it. Sure. Obviously, folks, when they think of blockchain, they're not wrong to think of cryptocurrency as a close cousin. Certainly not the same, but related as in crypto is a use case for blockchain and there's many more. But is it wrong for someone to think about decentralized finance being cryptocurrency? Is there a relationship? Are they dependent on one another? Orthogonal? What's the relationship? I think it's intertwined. We look at currency as something that delivers three properties of value, uh, three properties of money per se, store of value, unit of account, and medium of exchange. This is essentially what we use the dollar, the rupees, the euros for. We use them as a vehicle to be able to provide a fungible exchange instrument per se. And I think cryptocurrency is not just as a byproduct of blockchain, which again, if you look at the incentive economic system of Bitcoin and Ethereum, which become sort of a liquid asset in the system, which allow you to be able to exchange. Initially, there were tolling mechanisms, which is you pay a toll to process your transaction towards a global transaction system, but eventually became a thing of value because suddenly now these tokens or these cryptocurrencies became desired sort of tokens, which allowed people to be able to pay for transactions and the value sort of went up. Uh, So they became liquid assets in general. They became fungible assets. Bitcoin, no matter where you're in the world, could use the Bitcoin to pay and, you know, for a toll and, and process transactions. And the technology, which is blockchain on top of that, sort of provide an avenue to be able to build these amazing first smart contracts. Then we bring into a slew of things from lending protocols to liquidity protocols, market making, decentralized exchanges. These are innovations that actually happened because you had a fungible instrument in the system per se. While cryptocurrency as an instrument facilitated movement of value, the technology itself enabled the innovation that grew on top of that. And suddenly now you begin to see the innovation around stablecoin, which is taking what fiat or what US dollar that me and you use, tokenized form, being exchangeable or fungible with Bitcoin, use that as as a payment instrument interchangeably. You'll begin to see a lot of these instruments, both from technology perspective, but also as an instrument. And so they are intertwined. They represent a landscape that need to be understood, both in terms of, and I, I actually have used a moniker of three eyes, which is infrastructure. Blockchain represents the infrastructure, the technology itself, the instruments, which is the second eye, an instrument on top of blockchain. And every protocol, every project has something of value that provides this exchange mechanism, which is Bitcoin is an instrument, stablecoin is an instrument, in-network token is an instrument, and then insights, which is the data, the third eye of the system, which allows you to be able to get the information, get the data, have visibility and transparency into the blockchain ecosystems. So these three eyes have been my guiding principles to understand the space in a much more structured fashion. Okay, so you just described a great definition of decentralized finance or DeFi, and you talked about the relationship of blockchain and cryptocurrencies and DeFi. But now tell us about yourself. How did you get to a point where you're on, <laughs> you have your own podcast? Maybe start there and go backwards. Tell us a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. So first of all, uh, it's truly an honor and I've said this before, and, and you have to let me finish this piece, is the fact that it's a great honor to be here. You have been my mentor, and you brought me into this sort of, from a WebSphere world into this. And at IBM, when we both worked, we were trying to build this. You were the vision behind a lot of things from blockchain and for enterprise perspective, and we were in the field trying to understand. And if you remember in 2014, 2015, early days of blockchain, I had the free reins to go and figure the space out. 
met yes. about 1,200 <laughs> different clients uh, and all financial institutions because at the end of the day, it is a network that moves value. So the biggest entities that are impacted are generally financial institutions as a disruptive element to their business. And eventually that move morphed into NFTs and everything else that, that we talk about now. But early days, banking, right. payments, financial institutions were the largest impact. And so I spend lion's share of my work in effort to shape our business at IBM Blockchain Platform is trying to understand the space. And I'll tell you this, the amount of learning that happened I was in a port one day understanding trade finance. The next day I was in a central bank trying to understand central bank digital currencies. We delivered a bunch of projects early days, working with payment companies to understand how can Bitcoin like networks truly disrupt global movement of money, global movement of value. So you begin to see as to how this morphs. And it took me almost a decade or 10 years to finally connect the dots simply because our financial system is so fragmented. And then I led to high finance, looking into what can we, so not only changing the financial infrastructure, which is a technology that changes the way we move money, but suddenly you had a whole element of a new asset class that emerged. And so I went down the path of opening a hedge fund. We had a hedge fund four years back that's still running Portal Asset Management. And as a part of hedge fund or investment sort of instrument or investment entity that we formed, a big part of investment is your thesis, your intellectual work. And I took that, I drew upon the 10 years of learning into a podcast, into research papers, into communicating to our investors that, you know, we come from a background. There is a pedigree of understanding of this industry. So you can trust us and you can only enforce that by bringing your knowledge. And that led to podcasts. So eventually almost it's been what I think about a decade now, Jerry, where you draw upon that knowledge, what you've learned. And uh, now I've, I'm working for one of the largest, what we call as GCP, which is Globally Systemically Important Financial Institution, trying to change the financial market infrastructure, which obviously and quite evidently is aging. And uh, it's I've taken upon ourselves to be a, take a small part in that to modernize that infrastructure. Yeah. And the name, can you share the name of your podcast? Yeah, it's called Beyond Bitcoin. And Beyond Bitcoin is essentially is all about understanding the major power, you know, power shifts in the industry. But it's it's a as the name suggests, more than Bitcoin. So we want to address the entire industry and not just Bitcoin. Wonderful. So Nitin, let's keep going and let's talk about an example. Maybe an example that would be very difficult, if not impossible, to do before decentralized finance and you know, preferably examples that make you feel good when you wake up in the morning. Absolutely. And I've, I actually have two examples, but let me give the first one. And I actually have traveled as, you know, thanks to the work that we did back in the day, I went to remote villages in Uganda, spent some time in uh, a week in a village in India, which is, again, my home country, just to understand the impact of what we're trying to do and what can this truly affect the common man, the 8 billion number that we have, and it's reaching 9 billion uh, soon in the world. And the idea there is that today, if you have to invest into, let's say, a security or or equity space in the US, a a middle-class farmer or middle-class school teacher in Vietnam and India and Uganda simply just doesn't have access to that marketplace. And the idea there was that can we not have an egalitarian model where if somebody would like to invest, even if as low as $100 in a real estate in New York, because New York is a fast-growing space, or let's say London or Amsterdam, can we not look into enabling that structure with trust embedded into it, where Many of global sort of systems can connect to every individual and they have an opportunity to invest in these areas. So we worked on a few projects where as little as $100 from Vietnam could be by a school teacher, for example, could invest in a real estate and take advantage of the growth in these markets. You know, as an example, I've also looked into 
the evolution of M-Pesa, which is in, in Africa, which is looking into how payment systems have enabled not just financial literacy, but access to financial systems of many of the unbanked uh, you know, individuals who didn't have access to banking. But access to money was important. Access to money was important for them to have access to basic necessities, send money, which is, again, foreign workers who go across borders to where opportunities lead them and send money back home so they can su- sustainably support their families. Uh, these are some of the examples that make you feel good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. We have seen BitPesa is an example that I've personally worked on. And the beauty is, and this is something which is needs to be understood, that today if you have a Vietnamese dong or Indian rupees, for you to participate in a global financial system that's dominated by US dollar and, and, and euros and many of the basket currencies that represents the developed world, so to speak, for any of the individuals in developing countries, it's a Herculean task because you have exchange rates, you have financial intermediaries. Right. But if today you had Bitcoin or Ether anywhere in the world, there's no barriers to entry to the financial system that's evolving on blockchain. The rules of engagement, whether you're an American, Jerry, and me as an American, versus my cohorts in India and our cohorts in Vietnam, the rules of engagement is exactly the same. So that actually has the egalitarian power. And that's the reason why we compare this to internet. Okay. You showed the the unbanked and making finance accessible to everyone in every corner of the globe. That is inspiring. Let's talk about the other side of the coin, no pun intended. <laughs> You know, what are the risks? And we, we've seen things in, in the news with FTX yes. and, and things. Yeah. So what should people be aware of as they're investigating and, and looking to participate in decentralized finance? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Jerry. And I've, I've spent hundreds of hours understanding this space. The challenge with any of the recent items in news, which again started in March with what we're calling this contagion of incompetence, these are all centralized, centralized entities who have taken this new asset class, which is meant to have utility. The examples that I just cited was the utilitarian element of what we're trying to do with this technology. And what many of the financial technology experts or financial sort of expertise has done is taken this asset class and moved into a whole new model around pure trading, pure financialization of these tokens. And many of the centralized entities have taken advantage of, one, lack of education, opacity of information that many people have and and lack of access to technology that lets them engage in the decentralized exchanges, engage in the DeFi protocols, has led to emergence of many of these centralized entities, which the like of FTX and 3AC and Celsius were born and they took advantage of that. And this is no different from what we have seen in the past with Lehman Brothers and Enron and Madoff, uh, Bernie Madoff of the world. I think the only positive thing is that since most of these massive, I would say, frauds and scams that are coming to light is one way to educate people, the best you know, educational experience, Jerry. And many people who have experienced uh, a, a fraudulent uh, interaction will be careful next time. But I think that has led to a lot of people trying to understand the space. But I would just say, read, learn, study, understand the risks and imperatives, but more importantly, understand the utility of the tokens you're looking into, investing into it. Without utility, it's, it's just a gamble. Okay, my friend, we're up against time. So that was uh, short and sweet. So thank you very much for joining me here on Think Blockchain. Thanks, Jerry. Okay, this episode's a wrap. Folks, I've included links to Nitin's podcast, Beyond Bitcoin, as well as links to our book, Blockchain for Business. One thought that I wanted to echo from Nitin's comments is, DeFi is an emerging phenomenon that does come with some risks. As a recent innovation, decentralized finance has not been stress-tested by long or widespread use. In addition, national authorities are rightfully taking a harder look at DeFi systems with an eye towards regulation. So, remember Nitin's advice. 
read, learn, and study. Which takes me to one last thought. If a tree, or should I say a podcast, falls in the woods, does it make a noise? Well, Think Blockchain has a few sponsors who will be helping us make some noise by providing support for marketing the Think Blockchain podcast and book. Since royalties from the book are being donated to the American Cancer Society, we want to get the word out and, and make, make some, some noise. noise. So, this episode is brought to you by IBM. IBM continues to be a thought leader and world-class implementer of blockchain solutions globally. Blockchain for Business is IBM's thing, and the Think Blockchain book is filled with examples like Food Trust and the New York Excelsior Vaccine Pass, all built with IBM. IBM puts the Think in Think Blockchain. I'm also proud to announce that this podcast is brought to you by Kaleido, the blockchain business cloud. With Kaleido, doing business on the blockchain has never been easier. Their zero-gas NFT platform, institutional-grade digital asset solution, consortium as a service, and sidechain services allow enterprises to launch Web3 applications in a tenth of the time. That's Kaleido. Launch your Web3 application today on Kaleido's free starter plan at kaleido.io. Closing thought. If you like this podcast, I suspect you'll love my new book, Think Blockchain. So get your copy now by clicking the link in the description of this podcast. And buying is donating to fight cancer. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining. This is Jerry Cuomo, IBM Fellow and VP for Technology at IBM. See you soon on an upcoming episode.